All right, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so thankful for the community of um, this church and for all that you're doing in our midst. We thank you, God, for the many blessings um, that you have bestowed upon us uh, in sickness and in health, uh, for better or for worse. Lord, you have blessed us and given us yourself. So now we pray, God, to be turned to your word in Galatians chapter 5, that we would be open to your word and that you would open your word to us, that we would uh, know you, that we might love you, we might serve you, we might uh, be drawn to you in all things, and that your cross would be the filter through which we live our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are um, down the home stretch. Next week is Palm Sunday, and that will be the last uh, in our study of Galatians. We are in Galatians chapter 5 this week. This is a um, parts of this uh, are quite famous, actually. The um, fruit of the Spirit uh, is in this, uh, this chapter, so we'll talk some about that. Um, but let's read, let's read the chapter. It's not too long. And then we will um, see what Paul has to say to us. Now you remember that, um, that what he is, just to remind you of the context, or if you hadn't been here, to say that, that Paul is writing to a church that he loves, that he founded, that is, um, has had some folks come in to amend their theology. Uh, rather than Christ, uh, Christ's sacrifice being sufficient for their salvation, uh, for, sufficient for their favor with God, uh, that, that the folks have come in who have said not, don't worry about your morality, but actually to add morality to the equation. You must be circumcised, particularly, uh, or you must, um, you know, follow the commandments of the law in order to gain God's favor. Now we ought, of course, to follow the commandments of the law, uh, but not in order to gain God's favor. We live because we've gained God's favor through the cross, and that distinction uh, is fundamental to to all of Paul's thinking and theology. We live not for our salvation, but from our salvation. We glorify God in our good works. We do not earn His favor by, by our good works. He has given us all the favor we could possibly stand by dying for our sins and rising again. So, um, he has uh, been making that point, and he will continue to make that point, and it, it, but he has moved away from defending his own apostolic authority, and now he is uh, really even kind of moving from the uh, theological uh, um, Principle now to the, the practical. So we'll see, uh, see how that goes. Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. (laughs) Moving into PG-13. Thank you, Paul. (laughs) For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So ver- back to verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So he is, what, he, what we weren't really able to get to last uh, time was the, the end of chapter 4, where he, said, he talks about... I mean, something that's a little hard to understand if you don't know the Old Testament history behind it, um, that Abraham had two sons. He had Isaac, but he had Ishmael. Ishmael was older. Ishmael was born to uh, their slave, uh, Hagar. And Hagar, um, uh, Hagar's son Ishmael, says, uh, says Paul, was uh, born into slavery. And yet Isaac, born to Sarah in her old age, was born uh, of the promise. And he says, essentially, um, there are two ways to try to gain favor with God. One is by earning it yourself. You are working, working, working so that you can uh, get what is due to you. That's slavery, uh, he says. And then the, the other way is uh, to receive it as a gift. That's through the promise. And so he just makes that analogy. Because, he makes the analogy, because the, um, the Galatians are returning, what he says, to slavery under the law. To, to work, work, work by obeying the law, doing the things, accepting circumcision, whatever it is. In order that they would gain the favor of God, he says that's slavery. And for freedom, Christ has set you free. And that's God's whole point and God's whole gift to us in the cross is freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So please don't return to this Life of slavery. Listen to what uh, John Stott 
the Anglican theologian uh, said. As the New English Bible puts it, Christ sets us free to be free men. That's how the New English Bible translates that. Our former state is portrayed as slavery. Jesus Christ as a liberator. Conversion is an act of emancipation. And the Christian life as a life of freedom. This freedom, as the whole epistle in this context makes plain, is not primarily a freedom freedom from sin, but rather freedom from the law. What Christ has done in liberating us, according to Paul's emphasis here, is not so much to set our will free from the bondage of sin, as to set our conscience free from the guilt of sin. Let me say that one more time so you get that. What Christ has done in liberating us is not so much to set our will free from the bondage of sin as to set our conscience free from the guilt of sin. The Christian freedom he describes is freedom of conscience, freedom of the tyranny of the law, the dreadful struggle to keep the law with a view to winning the favor of God. It is the freedom of acceptance with God and of access to God through Christ that Paul is offering. Now, sometimes when I read something like that to you, it might sound be hard to follow. Do you, do you, do you catch what he's saying? Are you following that? He says that Paul uh, is proclaiming that Jesus sets us free, not just from sin, but from the law. Remember, the law shows us, it's like a mirror, it shows us our sin. So when you look at the Ten Commandments and you say, it says, do not covet, and you think, dang it, I looked at my neighbor's car and thought, I deserve that more than he does. Or, uh, I looked at... Um, my neighbor is whatever. And, uh, or when I look at um, the, the law and I see I have no other gods before me and I look at my own life and I think, gosh, I, I would be happy if that person liked me more. If I would be happy if I was in this club or I'd be happy if, if, if. We're putting those things above God. Making them little gods under ourselves. So Paul says, Christ has set us free. Don't return again to a yoke of slavery. There's an incredible picture of this. At the very, towards the very end of the Chronicles of Narnia, remember there's seven C.S. Lewis's wonderful children's stories that if you read them as an adult, you'll realize they're not children's stories. They are, uh, they are amazing works. I just finished Void of the John Treader with uh, Luke. And man, my life is complete. If I, if I could just do that. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so at the end of the last battle, the last battle is the final book in the series. At the end, um, the, the way that they're getting from the old Narnia that is crumbling and falling apart to the new Narnia is to walk through this barn door, this little sort of stable. And, of course, the stable had been this little sort of dank, dark building. But some, by, by some miracle of Aslan, the Jesus figure, uh, the lion... Uh, to walk through that door was to enter into paradise, the new, the new Narnia. And yet, when the children are in this new Narnia, they look over and they see this circle of dwarves huddled up in paradise. And I wish, I, I probably I should have brought it uh, to read to you, but it's just, it's amazing. What these, these dwarves uh, believe that they are in the dark. They believe that they're still huddled up into the, um, uh, in, in this circle, in the stable. They believe that things are terrible all around them and they have to stay together. Um, and it's just that they're in paradise. Uh, 
They're, they can run all around. They can eat the fruit off the trees. They can, they can, they can run, literally run and not grow weary. It's amazing to see how C.S. Lewis portrays heaven. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, but these dwarfs are such a picture. They, they, even though they're in Paris, even though they have freedom, completely access to it, they can't see it. They assume that they're in the stable, bound and confined. It's the law. It's, it's this, uh, and, and so when the children come up to them, they say, what are you doing all huddled up here? And they, they say, you're, you're lying to us. There's no light in here. There's no, uh, you know, we're, uh, I can't, you know, so they, get, they huddle closer because they think somebody's trying to uh, infringe upon them. I don't know if you can see that. I don't know. I feel like I'm saying that in a way that is, is awesome. I mean, I, me and C.S. Lewis, it should be about the same. But, um, <laughs> But they're, they're in paradise and all this freedom and they're swearing they're still dark, dark and cramped. And that's just, I mean, think about our lives and we, we say, um, it's so easy to return to that <coughs> yoke of slavery. I was, um, I was listening this morning, I like to listen uh, to uh, preachers that I really uh, love and respect on the way to uh, church in the morning. And um, so I was listening to Tim Keller this morning and, and he was talking about the Israelites. He said this, he said, um, he said we read that the Israelites were in the desert and they wanted to return to Egypt. And we think they are fools. They said, oh, we, it wasn't good. We had all the fish we, we wanted. It was like, they just completely blocked out the fact that they were whipped and beaten and they, you know, they, were, they were slaves. They weren't free. They, now they have freedom, but they are, there are some things they have to put up with, right? They have to eat the manna. It's probably not very appetizing. It is sustaining. But, the, oh, if we just go back to the life we had, we had all the fish we wanted. <laughs> That's just ludicrous. And yet, we just, it, is, it is so likely that we would have done the exact same thing. And that's what the Galatians are doing. They're saying, um, and, and it's what he's afraid for them, for their souls. That they're saying, oh, uh, you know, we, if we could just control uh, the way that we act in order to assure ourselves of God's favor rather than looking at the cross. Any, am I, I, am I, I feel like I'm, I, feel, I don't know, if, I feel like you're just staring at me. Is there, is there a, um, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe it's deep and you're really tracking with me, but, but do you have questions about it? Yeah, Kathy. Well, I was just, when you were saying that, I was thinking, the known sometimes has a whole lot more comfort mm-hmm. because you, you know what to expect. Yes. And so, like with those dwarves, yes. you know, this was a whole new environment for them, and it was different from what they were comfortable with. And I, I think that's how we are a lot mm-hmm. of times, or I am. You know, mm-hmm. well, I know what to expect, and I can deal with that. Yeah. The unknown is scary. Yeah, that's right. We just, you know, we just want to dip one toe into the pool and get used to it, and then maybe dip a little bit more, and by the time we get up to our knees... Uh, it, it, it's time to go, right? I mean, you know, it's it's uh, we want. Uh, it'll be so much more. Be- it'll be so much better if we just jump in the pool all the way, right? And then um, it'll sting at first, but then it'll be wonderful. So, uh, so yeah, you're right. Paul says, "Look, I, if you accept circumcision, Christ is no advantage." That's a pretty. That's a pretty strong statement. That's a pretty strong statement. Every man who accepts circumcision, and it, of course women can't accept circumcision, but uh, every person who accepts the law, the, there are things that you must do in order to, 
to um, satisfy God in order to get His favor. Every, everyone who accepts circumcision is obligated to do the whole thing. You, it better be perfect. And we talk, remember, we talked about a, a chain. Like you're, you're, a, a chain, has, all the links have to be strong. And one, if one's broken, the, the whole chain is broken. And the law is like that. If you're going to keep the law, you got, every link has to be strong. You're severed from Christ. You see what he did there? In the context of circumcision, you're seven, you're, what you're cut off from is Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. That's where we get the phrase, fall, uh, fall from, from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await uh, the hope of righteousness. But in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Only faith working through love. So there's two parts to this paragraph. There's a polemic part and there's a promise part. The first part, Jesus plus anything equals nothing, right? Jesus uh, plus um, circumcision equals way less than Jesus. Uh, it, it equals slavery to the law. It makes Jesus zero in that, in that equation. So let me ask, what, what might be some good works that we might add to the condition of, our, of salvation in our, in our own minds, our own lives? What, 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 what might we, I mean, not you, but you know, someone you know, um, what, what, might, what might, in our modern context, what might, what, what might we add as necessary for salvation? To me, that's the basic how you're going to get there anyhow. Okay. So how you get there. What if I don't love my neighbor? No. <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, am I, is Jesus going to look at me and say, remember that time? You learn to. Huh? Well, you learn to, sure. I mean, there's sanctification, right? There's this, there's this, we're actually going to talk about that in a few minutes. But what what might we add, okay? I was going to say you don't have to like your neighbor. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. I say maybe if we <clears throat> try to uh, the fruits of the spirit, we all, you know, kind of that's the benchmark we need to mm-hmm. reach. Yes, the fruit of the Spirit is, we use that as a benchmark rather than something that grow, the Spirit grows in us. We say, well, you're not loving, you're not joyful, you're not patient, you're not peaceful, you're not. So um, I had a friend in college who, where we hadn't gotten the fruit of the Spirit yet in this passage, but. Um, who every day he tried to work on one of them. And I thought, man, that's a really great idea. He tried to outline, today I'm going to work on love. Today. But what he was trying to, we'll get to it, but it's not, the, it's not his work. It's the, it's the Spirit's work. So, all right. We'll, we'll, so there's this polemic part. We, and that's something to think about. What, to watch yourself in your prayers say, Lord, what am I adding what, uh, to my life or in judgment of others? But what am I trying to add that I have to feel like I have to have in, in addition to your cross and resurrection in order to gain your favor? And then repent. But so part one is polemic. Part two is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Right? We wait eagerly for the hope of, of righteousness. We are righteous. We are righteous by faith. But the hope of righteousness is our heavenly hope. Like we are righteous by hope. I mean by faith. You are wearing the robe of Christ's righteousness if your faith is in Him. You are right. You cannot be more righteous than you are, except that you can be a lot more righteous than you are because you know that you still sin, right? And so there, we are in that in between, that in that in that um, uh, between the already and the not yet. And so we await our heavenly hope, which is uh, 
um, which is our, our uh, hope in heaven, our hope in Christ. So I'm going to actually skip this next paragraph uh, just for, for time's sake. We may get back to it uh, if we have a, a moment. Um, just brief comment. He says a little leaven. Leaven is the whole lump. Again, if you're just focusing on one link in the chain, you act, it, it means you got to do the whole thing. It's, it's, um, if you're just saying, well, I just, I just need this one little thing, it, it's, you're, you're living by the law. Now, the thing is, it's, it's kind of like trying to cut a pea with a knife. You know, like it's, it's very, it, it, I mean, we, we had, um, when I was in seminary, this might sound totally nerdy to you, but um, we had real heated debates over just this issue. Uh, were we uh, saved by grace alone and there was no moral requirement, or did we have to follow the law at, in order to prove what God had already done in our life? And there was a camp that was just all about grace. In fact, I sort of found myself in that camp, but I wouldn't, I tried not to be one of the ones in that camp that angrily defended their position. Um, isolated, alienated themselves. What was always crazy to me is that they weren't gracious about talking about grace. <laughs> they, I mean, they wanted to be theologically right. And someone who's had a different view of the law to say, well, I want to live by the law. I want to honor Christ with my life. And we all ought to. That's what the Spirit does in our life. Rather than saying, well, I, I, I see your point and I, I acknowledge you're a Christian. I disagree with how that works out in our, our life. I disagree with you about what Paul is saying. Um, but you would think that if you're hammering grace that you would be gracious. But again, it's like it's like you can't you can't pin grace down. You're going to make a law out of something, which is why we're constantly having to look uh, to Christ. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, save verse twelve for a uh, for Father Trent. He can talk about that sometimes. Um, but the um, Paul is essentially saying just let the knife keep going. Um, <laughs> He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, is he doing a bait and switch? Your freedom is so that you can love and serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. So, the scandal of grace is this. If you tell them that you don't have to do anything in order to win Christ's favor, to win God's favor, then they won't do anything. They'll go and do whatever they want. They will not, their lives won't look any different from the world. They'll go get drunk. They'll go sleep around. Whatever it is, you can't tell them that they don't have to do anything. You have to kind of give them some parameters. It's scandalous, and it's fearsome. And so where, but where some lapse, again, there's that P, uh, where some lapse into license, others lapse into legalism. Oh, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to, it's either I'm not going to do um, anything or I'm going to do everything. Um, but Paul is saying, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We're not uh, freed from the law for hedonism, right? For self-indulgence, because that is also bondage. My, 
um, the former dean of my seminary, Justin Terry, uh, told me about uh, this girl that he knew. He's, he was from England. And he told me about this girl that he knew from England who, uh, after she graduated from high school, she came to America. And I think she actually came to Florida because uh, she wanted to party. And, um, and so she wanted to run from the establishment, run from her parents, run from the church, every, as far as she could go. So Florida was as far as she felt like she could go. Um, but, um, and she just, she lived it up, man. She lived that party life. And one of her Christian friends, I think it was actually Justin's daughter, um, it might have been Justin's wife, anyway, said, said to her, um, you know, kind of confronted her about this. She'd been raised in the church. She said, listen, I'm free. I'm free to do what I want. And the question was put back to her, yes, but are you free not to? And it was actually that question that stuck in her mind and wrestled, that she wrestled with for a few years and then finally came to realize, no, she was not free not to do those things. She was in bondage. She needed Christ. And she is a lively Christian uh, today. But uh, are, you, are you free? Yes, you're free to do what you want, but are you free not to? Love, Paul says, is the fulfillment of the law. Um, love for others for self-gain is not love. In other words, if I'm loving you to get points on my scoreboard, then I'm loving myself, not you. If I'm giving Amy grace in order to get from Amy something that I want, then that is not love, that is manipulation. Right? Tracking with me? <coughs> to love my wife is to say, sure, whatever you want, and then to have no expectation of return. And hopefully, hopefully, she will do the same. But if Jesus had said, I'll love you like this, but I have some expectation of return, then that's not love. That's manipulation. So Jesus offered himself freely. The fruit of that in our life is to love someone freely. Now you can look in your own life and say, where am I loving someone? Where am I loving someone? But it's actually manipulation. Where am I frustrated? Now listen, marriage is a two-way street. Relationships are a two-way street. If one person is loving one and the other one is not loving the other in return, and it, there's a long pattern of that, that's oppression. Like there, there needs to be some reparation there. But if two people are loving each other, friends, spouses, whatever, in, in such a way that is uh, self-sacrificing, then it is life-giving for, for all involved. Um, my parents love to tell the story that um, they were arguing one night uh, in the kitchen, and Dad said, you go sit down, I'll do the dishes. And mom said, no, you go sit down, I'll do the dishes. And he said, no, you've had a long day. You've had a long day, I'm, let me do this. And I, a little boy, came in and said, fight, 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 that's all you do. And they just, <laughs> they thought that was hilarious. And it is pretty funny. They were fighting because they wanted to, who gets to serve the other one, right? That was, that, they were, that was, it was a beautiful thing. Um, but then he says, Really, to kind of to get what I, where I was going before, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. I mean, like you know, theological issue. I mean, the church is terrible about this. I mean, we we bite each other. All you know, good Christians that that believe a little bit differently than, than we believe. Um, you know, that's that. I believe in grace. Damn it. You know, like I mean, it's you know, we're just we're not we're not um, gracious about what we believe. And Paul's saying it's. If God has loved you like this, you can love others, and that is the fulfillment of the law. Because God has already fulfilled the law for you. 
Um, if we have time, I'll come back and talk about Martin Luther a little bit. But, uh, but how, so how do we do this? I mean, how do, how, do we, how do we live in this freedom? Because our natural selves are only going to make laws out of everything. Big L law for the law of God, little L laws for social expectations. Anything that you're stressed about, there is a law, big or little L, behind it. Paul says, I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now the flesh is the natural and fallen nature that we have. The desire of the flesh is indulgence, uh, either either indulgence, which is license, or um, control, which is legalism. Anybody here a control freak? Not a lot of hands uh, being raised, which means you have good control, right? Uh, the, um, this, is the, this, this, is the, this is the dichotomy. This is the prodigal son, license, does, does whatever you want, versus the elder brother, legalism. I did it all. You never gave me anything. How do we overcome? By the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit is what Paul says. If you do that, you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. Whether you're the desires of your flesh are control, self-righteousness, or license. Uh, which also somehow produces a sense of self-righteousness. But and usually we are some sort of combination of each one. And this is what he says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. I and mean, there's these two competing forces. Um, uh, for these are opposed to each other, and you keep to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. You remember Romans chapter 7, Justin Holcomb talked about it this past Wednesday. The things I want to do, because I love Christ, but the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am! Who will save me from this body of death? The, the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the desires of the flesh. He said, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not obligated to keep it because you're walking in Christ. But you, what you want to do, you don't want to look at yourself, oh, how am I doing? But you want to look at Christ. How is, he, how is He doing? What is He doing in my life? The works of the flesh are evident. Now what I want you to see, I'm going to read this list again. There's really bad stuff in here. But the really bad stuff is kind of at the beginning and at the end and sandwiched in the middle are things that we see in our lives and in our churches all the time. So, we may see all of these in our, in our churches. I hope, I hope not. But we might. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. I've actually seen all those things in the church. But here are the subtle ones. Enmity, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Drunkenness, I've seen in the church. I've never seen orgies in the church. So that's, that's a good one. And I hope I never do. These are works of the flesh. Yes, there's bad things we do on the outside, externally, yes. But there's also matters of the heart. Jealousy, anger, dissension, just dissatisfaction, divisions, 
jealousy, envy. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not, not enter. He doesn't say enter, he says inherit. Because who, who inherits something? Children, right? The children of the Father. That's scary. Those who do such things, what he's saying is that they're not evidencing, they're not evincing in their lives. If they're, if they're, if they're angry, if they're jealous, because of they're not getting things, they may be evincing in their lives that they don't actually know Christ or trust Christ. Like this, is the, this is the end of following the law. Because it's never gonna, we're never going to be able to fully control it. But, the fruit of the Spirit. So you have the works of the flesh contrasted not with works of the Spirit, but fruit, singular, of the Spirit. I made sure, I looked it up in the Greek, it is a singular word, the fruit. It all grows together. You try having joy, but not patience. Having, having kindness, but not peace. It all, it all, well, now I've had all those things without self-control, but that's another mat- matter. Um, <laughs> Love, joy, see, it, 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 they grow within you. They're organic. The seed of the Spirit is planted within us, and, it, and it's up to Him to water. Yes, Joyce? I think that's where this conflict always comes in. You know, the back and forth sort of thing. Like uh, Wednesday, the speaker was talking about Wesley Todd. I can't remember. Yeah, the serial killer. Yep. But, I mean, and somebody asked, do you think he went to heaven? And he said, yes, he did. So it's it's... Even though he did all these terrible, terrible things, he there was that conflict in him, knowing that he couldn't control that um, force, for lack of better words. And he knew he wasn't in the spirit, and he regretted it, but he couldn't stop it. So it's this conflict back and forth yep. constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's where the spirit comes in, is that you, you pray that... that the right outweighs the wrong or or can stop you, but he knew he couldn't. Right. And it's, you know, that's a very stark and uncomfortable picture. Hopefully it makes the point of what's in all of us and we never, ever, ever, I I pray, get to that point of despair and brokenness. But um, but what what he's saying is that it is, yes, there's always this tension. So how do we get to where we do what we want to do rather than we do what we don't want to do? How do we get there? Mm-hmm. And it is not by focusing on myself, I've got to be more loving today. I've got to be more joyful today. I've got to be more peaceful today. It is by looking at Christ who is, love, who is Himself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So we focus on Christ and not on ourselves. What happens there? Humility. We quit thinking about ourselves. If I think, oh, I've got to... Man, I've been terrible. You wouldn't believe how many people, um, you know, when I, when I introduce myself, to, I don't know, like, you know, Publix or, or um, you know, in, in any context, a party or something, a um, PTA meeting or whatever. You know, always, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And he either shuts them up. Uh, oh, great. You know. um, or they're like, oh, man, I never go to church. I'm so sorry. I mean, like, they just start confessing. They just, they just, bah, you know. Um, the, uh, it is, it is uh, amazing. We just feel, we're just under this, uh, this cloak of guilt uh, all the time. Um, we, we want to, we focus on ourselves. And the, the means by which we grow the fruit of the Spirit is by looking at the Spirit, looking at Jesus. Um, 
I heard it. I was reminded of a funny story. I've heard it before, but I was reminded. I heard it again. Um, the who wrote Sherlock Holmes? Who, who, who's the author? Do you remember? Yeah, Arthur Conan Doyle. Apparently, in addition to being an incredible novelist, was sort of a prankster. And he sent a telegram to 12 of his friends, sort of in the high echelons of, of uh, British society in London. And he just sent an anonymous telegram and said, Flee at once, all is discovered. <laughs> and within 24 hours, all of them had left town. <laughs> Every one of them. <laughs> because we live under this cloak of guilt. Either I haven't done enough, or I know what I've done, or both. Right? How do we achieve the fruit of the Spirit? Not by working on the fruit of the Spirit, but by work, looking at Christ and His finished work over and over and over again, and letting the Spirit work in us and create the character of Christ in us. So, um, that is our time. Any, uh, any yeah, any... Um, any parting shots? One parting shot, maybe? Yes. I just have a question. Sure. Um, I really don't question it. Okay, you, you just said that was my question all along. Like, I understand, like, when we ask for forgiveness, we confess our sins, and God forgives us, and if we keep asking for this, we're like the slamming and like this for the first time. But then we know that what we've done, and then we carry that guilt. So then, I don't know about the rest of you, but myself, I spend like an order of time like measuring everything as the fruit of the spirit or what sort of things are loving, trying to make up for all of my way past sins. Even though I know God has forgiven me, maybe I haven't forgiven myself, maybe I think there's like a line I need to cross, like I need to be nice twelve more times before that time I really mean is really forgiven. Like I don't even like and I think that keeps me in that like kind of merry go round of like I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. Well, I would say, what I would say that is, and I and I can say it because I know it intimately. Uh, but I would say that is idolatry. We have an idolatry of ourself and what we are to be, and the way to fix that is to look at Christ, who has done it all, and over and over again. I mean, it's just where we fix our gaze. If I look here, I'm going to be like, oh, I haven't, you know, it's the merry-go-round right here. Yeah. But if I look up, then I, I tend to forget about the merry-go-round. I mean, not when I say forget about it. I don't mean for. I mean, I'll come back to it. I, you know, but but it's just yes. So, it is receiving. It's not receiving once that we're forgiven, uh, that we're healed, that we're whole. It's receiving it minute by minute. But then that whole sea of demon thing comes into my head. Like every thought word is going to be judged. And I'm like, are we going to go like how far back? Like, have I have I got it will. to cover those one? I mean, every thought word indeed will be judged. And if we don't have a, a mediator to take it all on himself, that's the thing. If, you see, if we say, all right, well, I'll give Jesus 95% of my thought, words, and deeds, but I'm going to control this. I'm going to be circumcised. Whatever it is, I'm going to control this piece. Then we're toast. Like he's he's got to take it all. So, But it's just, it's, anyway, we're at time. Thank you. That's, I mean, listen, we're going to be talking about this for the next 20 years. I mean, it's just, it, it, is, it is not something that we um, will master. It's just something that we strive towards. All right. All right. God bless you. I got to go to church.